seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. All parents want the best for their children. You want them to have a life that's better than yours. You want them to be happy and healthy. You want the first hat that they wear to be have Chief Wahoo on the front of it, so you know you're raising them right. But most of all, the prayer of any Christian parent is for your child to remain steadfast in the faith. But it's hard at times, because you don't know when you look at your child what the future holds for them, at least in a worldly sense. Today, though, in this event in the life of our Lord, Mary is told what the future holds for her son as he was to be in this world. And that future shouldn't surprise her. It shouldn't surprise us, but it's striking nonetheless. And so St. Luke records for us, he says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now God, through Simeon, tells Mary that Jesus is going to be a stumbling block to people. We heard that a couple of weeks ago with the messengers from John the Baptist. There will be many who rise and fall on account of him, and it will happen among their own people. And it will be her son who is the point of division in all of this. And not only that, but she's told that a sword will pierce her own soul also. Now, many commentators have tried to explain what this means, but understand who Mary is as a sinner and who her son is, we can see that this sword is the preaching and ministry of Jesus, which will pierce through all of Israel and pierce through her own soul as well. So here's Mary, a fairly new mother, who's told all of this about her son, God in the flesh. So when Mary sees her son, then she's looking at her God and Lord. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean, though, that Mary and Joseph would go around bragging how their son could walk on water and raise the dead and have a bumper sticker on the back of their camel. But what it does mean is that she would see him grow up in the stature and wisdom. He would be the person that men would seek to kill. And ultimately, she would be standing at the foot of the cross, see her own son nailed to it, hanging there naked, suffering excruciating pain as he died the death of a criminal. But this mother would see his death as her own redemption. So this is the future Mary was told would be for her son. The one who she held in her arms as a newborn in Bethlehem. The one she wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus in his earthly life saw the fall and rise of many as it does today. Hearts are revealed when it comes to Jesus as there is no middle ground. One is either for him or against him. The lukewarm he will vomit out of his mouth, he tells us. For God then to pierce the soul is for him to go deep into the depths of our hearts too. Later in Luke, Jesus would say, You are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So as we gather on this day, as we do every Sunday, we see that God is the one who breaks you. 
He breaks you in your sin. And the reason is you need to be broken. Because lest we kid ourselves, sin is slavery, and it wraps its talons around us like a bird of prey, only to let us drop into the pits of hell. There's no escape, and there's no freedom when you are a slave. The only way out of this is if you're set free and bought back, if you're ransomed. You must be ransomed in order to have a true freedom and true life. That epistle reading today from Galatians talks about a lot of things regarding the law of God. But we see, though, that it gets kind of to this point of this contrast that we see when St. Paul wrote, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way also when we were children, we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So as we who are children of God and heirs of these things, we've still blinded ourselves to those things of God that he's talking about in his word before us today. That's why God uses his word that pierces, why he reveals it, he cuts us open like a surgeon with a scalpel. Those who haven't heard the gospel, there's a danger for us, even as Christians, to go back into that slavery of the elementary principles of this world, which is to say there's a difference between the ways and workings of the fallen world and the things that it trusts in, as opposed to being a new creation in Christ and the freedom that comes with it. So as Christians, then, lest we get caught up in this in many ways, God warns us because the principles of this world start guiding us when we close our ears to God's word. Now we can see an example of this about something that in and of itself is not wrong or necessarily harmful. Notice I said it's not wrong or necessarily harmful, but it easily just shows just how even in the simplest things we can be swayed into a different way of thinking. So what time of the year is this that we think of? This is what? Christmas. Although if you look at the thermometer, you might doubt that. But Christmas has just begun. It's not even half over yet. And how many of you think that it's gone on long enough? How many of you are ready to move on to something else? Why is that? Is it because you can only stand only five days of the joy of Christmas? No. Because it's probably because we've been celebrating Christmas in one way, shape, or form right after the door closed on the last trick-or-treater. Each year, Christmas gets moved farther and farther back but some of you maybe can remember when this wasn't the case. The girls this year went to the Nutcracker Ballet. They do dance, and so they like this. Um, and what do the kids do in the opening scene, if you've ever seen the Nutcracker? The adults are putting up the Christmas tree in the other room, and the kids are going to be surprised to see this tree, and they have to wait until everything's finished. So when is this that this happens? November 1st, December 2nd, it's Christmas Eve. So nothing like the last minute to put things up, or was it? While a Russian ballet, the custom was common among many people because that was the beginning of the Christmas season on Christmas Eve. Now, before you call me a Grinch, before you start taking ornaments off the tree and chucking them at me, is it wrong to put up a Christmas tree earlier? Absolutely not. It is not wrong to do that. It's not wrong to decorate the church before the Christmas season starts. But the point being, though, is it just goes to show how that without even thinking about it, we buy into and go along with the things of this world and let that define our lives, let that define our celebrations, and even celebrate holidays that are churchly holidays. 
Because these things, they don't happen in a vacuum, but become ingrained in us over time to the point that a generation finally says, we've always done it this way. When, well, that might be the truth in a short lifetime, that is most certainly not the case. How often when all these things go on in our lives, do we just put on the brakes and stop for a second and say, what does this mean? Why? And so that's with something just as simple as Christmas decorations. How about things that are more serious? Look at how common things have become accepted in our culture that are clearly against God's word, but seem as a shock to people when you talk about them. Talking at times, going through the different commandments I've mentioned about marriage, or even at things about just simple things about fathers and mothers. When I've talked with the confirmands, I might as well be telling them that they're from Mars and have shoes on their eyes. Because the look around us is, this is absurd. Or look at how we've come to view church attendance, or even what the church is to be. We've bought into things of this world and become slave to them to the think that the point that we as Christians and we as the church must bow down to the principles of this world and its standards, rather than cling to the sure and certain promises of Christ himself. Or even you think about these elementary principles of this world, where the devil is the prince of this stuff. Somebody was talking to me the other day when I was preaching at Van Horn, and they were talking about this book on demons. And no, they weren't talking about Pastor Lingard. They were talking about how there's a book that kids can buy to invoke a demon, right? And it has like a funny demon face on it. I mean, are you kidding me? Absolutely, this goes against the second commandment. But we just put it on the shelf and keep walking on. What's happened? We've become slaves to the elements of this world to the point that our own children and grandchildren, the only life that they may know is a life of slavery, a life that just sees these things and accepts them as the norm and then thinks that God's teaching in his word is what is absurd. But what does God say about this present age? What will happen? Well, in our reading today, we see that Jesus is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. The word became flesh and dwelt among his people. And not everybody was or is happy about that. So when you hear that word of God, about that rising and falling, know who you are. Know your old man that wants nothing more than to turn from the Lord and seek after its own wants and desires. Crucify the old man in his pride and don't be scandalized by Jesus. Those who won't fall down before Jesus, the Lord will fall down upon them in judgment and all will be revealed on the last day. And hold fast to his word. Hear it and keep it and repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So dear Christians, Mary was told all of this and she serves as an example for us as the church of God, what it means to hold to these words. Back when the angel Gabriel appeared to her, she responded to all of this with what would take place in terms of the world didn't make sense, right? The angel Gabriel came to her and told her that she was going to have a son and she said, I'm a virgin, how can this be? She knew simple biology. But when he said that this is God's will and the Holy Spirit would come upon her, what was her response? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So here then in the temple, she hears this word and she is blessed by God at who her son has been appointed to be. Even if that means that her son must die. 
So to live as one who goes through this world as a servant of the Lord is to have that same confession of Mary, the mother of God. We look and we hear God's word and we say, let it be to me according to your word. And so God's word for you this day of Christmas is, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Mary's son is the savior of the world. And through him, you have become a son of God. Your sin is forgiven and you've been set free from your slavery to sin, death, and the power of the devil. And so you have a real freedom as you go through this world as an heir of God. Your inheritance is what God has won for you. And we hear, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So God has, is your father, and you have been baptized into Christ and clothed with him. He's marked you as his own. And your soul has been pierced, and your old man falls each and every day, and the new man rises. The word that's used for the rising in this text is the word Anastasia, Anastasia, rising. She's about asleep right now. But we rise. God raises us. You've been raised to new life in Christ, and you go through this world as one who belongs to him and one who knows what your own future is, and it's a future of glory to come. And that's the confidence that God gives you today that sees Jesus and that clings to him as the one who has done these things. And it knows by faith through that word that you have all that he's won for you by his righteous life, by his atoning death, and from his resurrection from the dead. So the world may bombard you with these things, but your conscience is clear as you live because you know where you stand with God. You are his child. So the burden has been lifted. And you have freedom to live, really live in what the Lord has given to you, even if the world may find it absurd. So Mary went through this world knowing this and that her son was the only one who would save her, even to the point of seeing him die on the cross. The people of God, the new Israel, goes through this life knowing what Mary knew, and Mary did know it, as the church seat she submits to her head, Christ. And she, we, suffer all rather than fall away from him. And in all things, though she knows and you know, the Lord is the one who has come. He is the one who has redeemed you by his blood. He is the one who is this born, babe born in Bethlehem, who is your savior who has forgiven you, and the one who has set you free. He is the one who gives eternal life even as you face death in this world. And that's a great reason to rejoice this day of Christmas, and to lift up your eyes even in suffering and bearing the crosses appointed for you, because God has sent his Son, and you belong to God. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. So Mary and Joseph departed this place, and they returned home as ones who had heard God's word and who were, who were blessed in hearing it. And the favor of God was upon and is upon Jesus, and God's favor is upon you. For the Lord is here now, this day, and he will bless you with his holy word and sacrament, and he will send you on your way in that same favor. 
So with Simeon, you hold fast to Christ, not holding him in your arms, but in your ears and on your baptized foreheads and upon your tongue and your mouth, as this is the same Jesus who is here for you right now. Mary's child is her Lord and God, just as he is yours. So his future is your future. And what a glorious one it is. God is your father, and he delights in you, his child, and what your future holds. So go through this life then as an heir of all things. Taste and see that the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And then go and depart this place and whenever the Lord wills it, depart this earthly life in that same peace of Christ, which surpasses understanding, knowing at all times, Christ is yours and you are his and your future is rising in more ways than one. Amen. Amen.